and welcome to the 16th episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman, and as I record on this day, it is May 21st, 2021, and I'm going to tell you about some of the news from this week in the electric vehicle and surrounding industries. So yes, this episode is a little bit early this week, which is nice. Um, I wanted Sunday off, so I figured I'd go ahead and get on it today. And I read through all the news and kind of caught up everything today, which is a little bit of a rare treat for me. And I'm just feeling ready to talk about it. So I think we're just going to jump in with the news. As always, you can find links to the sources and articles in the show notes below if you want to do any further reading there. I'll also give some context. We've got a lot of numbers in a couple of the stories this week. So you can find the breakdown of all that that I'm going to be talking about down in the show notes below, uh, just so you can follow along a little bit more closely if you, if you so choose. So... Um, let's jump right into it. So we've got some electric vehicle news this week. No surprise there. Um, really big, big headline now is, is Hyundai has announced that they will invest $7.4 billion in United States EV production by 2025. It's a pretty big number. And this is kind of, again, coming in with all these other announcements we're getting from GM, Ford, VW, and such about how much money they're going to invest in electric vehicles, um, in Europe or in the United States. And another big one from, from Hyundai. So this is not just Hyundai themselves. This is the Hyundai um, Motor Group, as it's called. So this includes Kia. And I've, I've mentioned several times in this podcast before that I'm really jazzed about them getting into the EV industry. I think that the, the Kia Niro EV and the Hyundai Kona EVs look very compelling. And they're pretty early electric vehicles, all told. You know, been out for a couple years now. And they look pretty great um, by all accounts. They're they're really good vehicles, and I think that we need those kind of um, not lower end, but but you know the mass market type vehicles like Hyundai and Kia. We really need them um, pushing the forefront as well when it comes to EVs. So I'm very excited to hear about this. Um, their United States EV production is slated to begin in 2022, so that was part of this press release as well. And again, you can read the actual press release in the show notes below. Um, and they also talked about continuing their investment in hydrogen. So. Um, they're not looking at hydrogen as far as I'm, as far as I'm aware, uh, for passenger vehicles, for consumer vehicles, like you or I might drive, but they are doing hydrogen for their, their semi trucks. So their heavy duty vehicles. Um, so they're continuing that investment. You know, I think that if hydrogen is going to play any role in transportation in the next two or three decades, it's going to be in heavy duty. That's where it makes the most sense. It's where batteries have a, a difficult time because of just pure energy density. Um, so I'm not mad at them investing in hydrogen here and kind of putting that in the same press release, not, not in the same way that I am maybe about Toyota continuing with their hydrogen train. So great news. $7.4 billion is huge. Um, in the, in the ramping up manufacturing in the U S so absolutely love to see it. Um, and this comes with some more news from them from this week that, uh, we finally have some details about the 2022 Kia EV6. Um, so this is a, a vehicle from Kia. It's something in the kind of crossover region because of, of course it is. Every, everything's a crossover these days. Um, looks like a pretty cool car. Um, I'm not going to go through many of the details here. You're welcome to look at it. I look at the article and, and kind of read through it in the show notes. You know, the details are, they're there. They're not the most detailed because again, it's kind of a long way out before you actually get production and sales of them. But, you know, it's looking pretty good. We've got battery pack size, 77.4 kilowatt hours, and just kind of everything's pretty in line with what you might expect from Kia. It does look like it's a bit more of a, um, it's not like a very 
Jeep looking vehicle. Who knows what it's gonna what's gonna happen whenever I, they actually announce a price for it. Um, does look like it's a little slight, slightly higher end vehicle, but um, but it looks great. And you know, Key is kind of continuing to get in the game. So love to have these sorts of announcements. One really important part with this that I'm, I'm very happy about is that they specified that it will be for sale in all 50 states in the U.S. So that's very good. Um, none of this California only or uh, zero their emission vehicle mandate states like, you know, Zev states like Colorado and, and New York and such. So that's very good news. And then there's opening reservations for it on June 3rd of this year. So this is one of those vehicles that they're having reservations for. So what that tells you is, you know, maybe it's more luxury than, than not, but um, either way, I think it's pretty good news. So I'm happy to hear about it. So in slightly less good news, um, Toyota has announced some more of their projections for the EV market in the United States. Um, I have written in my notes, Toyota's a wimp. Uh, I just think they're totally discounting the US EV market and they're just behind the ball. So the main headline here is that they've projected that 85% of their United States vehicle sales will have a gas engine at the year 2030. So 85% of their sales will include internal combustion by the year 2030. Only 15% will be no, no internal combustion. That's just like, it's pitiful in my opinion. Um, so the breakdown of this, the article did not clarify this well at all. Actually, none of the sources that I saw really clarified exactly how the breakdown goes. So I had to go and, and tease apart the numbers and do a little bit of math. But the breakdown for you is that in 2030, their projections are that 30% of their sales will be pure gasoline. So no electrification whatsoever. 55% of their sales will be hybrid vehicles, so gasoline engine and electric motor. Um, some percentage of those will be plug-in hybrid, not just pure hybrids. Um, so those will have pure electric range in addition to the gas range. And then 15% will be battery electric or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Um, those numbers are just, they're just sad, really. Um, the thing with Toyota is like, yeah, I feel like they should have been the chosen one. You know, they're supposed to bring us towards electrification, not away from it. Um, with the, the Prius and all that, and just absolutely killing it early on with the kind of environmental cars. Um, but they're just lagging behind so hard. Uh, them and Honda too. I, I wish that Honda would get a little bit more into it, but um, but we'll, we'll see. So I just thought that the projections were, were worth kind of pointing out that they are not backing down from from any of what they've said over the last few years about electrification. And it's really pretty disappointing to me. So we'll see how that holds with all these mandates coming into place about, you know, you can't sell gas cars or no tailpipes by X year and all that across the world. You're getting all these announcements by different countries and different states in the U.S. We'll see if they hold true. Maybe they're hedging. I don't know. But either way, it's disappointing. Um, and I want to move on to so much better news. So uh, Ford has announced that they are partnering with SK Innovations to build two electric vehicle battery plants and they will eventually produce enough batteries to supply 600,000 electric vehicles per year. And that is based on the electric, uh, electric, um, the electric storage, the battery storage demand on a Ford Mach-E. So 600,000 per year is it's pretty big. Uh, that's very exciting. And this is, this is important, right? So we've had this kind of saga, I think, throughout all of the episode, the early episodes of this podcast about Ford we're not going to build batteries. We're going to build batteries. We'll build batteries in like 2025 or something like that. And it's just kind of been easing on towards them finally admitting that they're going to build batteries. And now we finally have this announcement that they're going to be, they're going to do it. 
And I've been saying all along, they've got to. They are going to need to build batteries to meet their own demand with their electric vehicles because it really looks like they're taking electrification seriously with the Mach-E. Um, so it's, it's a pretty big deal. you got to have your own battery supply. Uh, basically, every auto manufacturer has struggled with having enough battery supply to make as many electric vehicles as they want to. Even Tesla has. Um, and they produce their own batteries. They got on that train way early and are rapidly building these gigafactories to, to build batteries and vehicles. And even they're struggling, right? So very glad that Ford is, is getting with it. It looks like this is going to be a pretty rapid transition for them. And I think that that's very, very good. Um, so that's not the biggest news, though. Um, Ford has finally announced their F-150 Lightning. So the, the fully electric Ford F-150. Um, we've got details. They did a whole live stream for it. It was awesome. It's like a 30-minute live stream. I highly encourage you to watch it. Um, I think it's very interesting. It's very much what you would expect from Ford. It's very rah-rah, America's awesome. This country was built on Ford or built on the F-150 and all that sort of stuff. Um, basically everything you'd expect. But I think that's what we need. That's what the market needs is a good old, just a good old boy truck that, um, that people are going to buy. The F-150 is the most popular single vehicle model in the country. Um, and considering it's not very fuel efficient, that's a pretty big deal. So the fact that they have this this electric version and one that they're really pushing the kind of like manliest, manliness, like utility version or aspect of the truck, I think is a, a really important thing, even though I groan, <laughs> I groaned several times during the live stream because of all of that. Um, I think it's important to, it's important for the market. Uh, even if it does kind of suck in a lot of ways. So I did a whole um, podcast episode about this that you've likely listened to if you're listening to this every week um, with my first impressions on the vehicle. I'm very, very impressed with it overall. I think it's fantastic. Um, my thoughts on it haven't really changed since, was it Wednesday, whenever whenever the announcement came out and whenever, they, uh, whenever I did the podcast episode? So my thoughts haven't really changed. I really encourage you to listen to it. I think it's like a 15-minute episode, just me meandering and talking about the different aspects of it that I like. But the long and short of it is that it starts at around $39,000. It's like $39,900, so it's about $40,000 actually at the base price, which is pretty good. Um, that's about ten k more than the base uh, gas <laughs> Ford F-150. Um, and its specs are pretty good. You know, They're in the 230 to 300-mile electric range based on the battery size that you get. Um, the really important thing, the really impressive thing is that they have so many, uh, ports for plugging in appliances. You can use it as home generation for, you know, if you have a power outage, you can run your AC and stuff off of it in the higher end models. It can supply 9.6 kilowatts of electricity, which is just an absurd number. Um, I encourage you, if you have a home generator, um, for power outages, look at the, the, the wattage on that and see what it is. It's probably in the 3,000 to 4,000, 5,000 region um, watts, and this is 9.6 kilowatts. So it's, it's pretty absurd um, and really, really impressive. With a really big battery like that, you know, they were talking about you can go off grid for days if you have to. Um, obviously, you can't run your entire house on that for days, but, you know, it, that's, that's a really crucial feature and really impressive feature. Uh, one of the other things I really loved about it, and I won't, I won't go into all these details because, again, I've got the whole episode about it, um, is that they, they have weight sensing in the vehicle so that it can give you a better estimate of your range based on how much you're carrying in the, in the bed of the truck. That seems like a great feature for a work truck. Um, they're doing fleet pricing. So 
This is something that Tesla famously doesn't do. They don't offer a lower price for fleets to use their vehicles. And I work with fleets for a living. <laughs> that's a big turnoff for these fleets. That's that's a really that's really big turnoff. It doesn't work for them. Um, so the fact that Ford is, is leaning into that, I think it's a really, really good move. Um, and then the, the front is freaking huge. It can hold 400 pounds and has a 400 liter volume, which why they use liters there is beyond me. But um, just a huge frunk and looks really, really useful for, again, kind of work, work site construction type jobs. It's kind of what you want for that, right? So I'm very, very impressed with, with basically every decision that they've made on the entire truck. It looks really well considered um, and I'm very excited about it. So that kind of wraps up my thoughts about that. I do want to leave that topic with one, with one important thought is, is that this shouldn't really be compared to the Cybertruck. They're not in the same market. They're not in competition. The Venn diagram of people who buy F-150s and who are willing to buy a Tesla is like two circles on different continents. Um, they don't overlap. Maybe there's a tiny little sliver somewhere of people who might be swayed from one to the other based on whatever specs. But really, when it comes down to it, I don't think they're in competition. Um, they're in competition with whatever Chevy does with their electric pickup truck if they ever come out with that. Um, and again, the truck market in the United States is absolutely massive. Tesla's not going to be able to take it all over. So I've already seen tons of articles comparing the two and tons of people on Twitter comparing them and saying the Cybertruck is much better for these reasons or whatever. Um, I just don't buy any of it. I think it's, it's silliness. So I take this very positively. I think this is a very good truck, a very impressive truck, and I'm just super excited about it. And I encourage you all to um, not fall into that kind of tribalism trap. Just really think about the market that they're serving and whether it matters that the Cybertruck has X feature that the F-150 doesn't, because it just doesn't matter. So off that soapbox, moving on to the next topic uh, and on to another soapbox, actually. Um, we have one thing in the realm of energy today, and it is that um, there is another announcement about Bitcoin miners um, doing weird things with power generation. So this is a really interesting story. Um, I definitely encourage you to look at the article in the show notes. It kind of does, does a much deeper dive than I'm going to on this, and it's, it's quite interesting. But basically, um, some Bitcoin miners, some companies who are, who are mining Bitcoin, have decided to start doing on-site electricity generation at oil fields. So several oil fields, which is actually, this is actually a really big problem, um, oil fields will have issues where you get a bunch of natural gas venting. And you know the natural gas isn't what they're drilling for. They're drilling for something else. And that natural gas is basically a waste product. They're not, it's not enough is coming out for them to justify building a pipeline, like economically speaking, and sell it. So they just kind of let it leak. Now there are, there are regulations around this, so they actually have to flare it. They have to burn it to take that methane and turn it into CO2. So that reduces the global warming potential of, of the gas. Um, but they're just flaring. It's a really big problem. They get a lot of natural gas flared across the country for these reasons. And so what these Bitcoin companies are doing, the Bitcoin mining companies, is they're taking these electric generators, mobile-ish electric generators, out to those sites. And as opposed to flaring it, they're burning that natural gas in electric generators. They're producing electricity out of it and using that to mine Bitcoin. And they're taking advantage of very, very cheap rates for this gas. Um, in some situations, the companies just aren't charging the miners at all. They're taking this burden out of the oil drilling company's hands, so they don't really care about it. Sometimes they charge them a really low fee for the gas. 
And this is just really interesting to me. Um, I'm not generally in favor of it because we just shouldn't be flaring that gas. <laughs> like we should just stop flaring it and then we wouldn't have this issue. Um, however, it's not the worst thing necessarily. It does support Bitcoin, which I don't really love in general for the environmental purposes, the environmental reasons that I've discussed a few times in this podcast. It's just a really interesting story. Um, in general, not a huge fan of it because we shouldn't be flaring that gas in the first place. But it's just something I hadn't even considered. So it's very, very, very interesting. Um, I do have actually just a, a surprise story that I was told about very recently. Um, we have another situation where Bitcoin miners are revitalizing a fossil fueled power plant. So of course they are. I talked about this last episode or maybe the episode before about the power plant in uh, New York that was converted from coal to natural gas. Um, it had already been retired for a few years in these Bitcoin miners revitalized it and then converted it to use natural gas. And now they're mining Bitcoin with it. Um, it's, it's a huge deal. And there is a, uh, yeah, there's another another situation of this happening in, in the United States where another power plant is being revitalized for Bitcoin. And I don't like that even a little bit. So I'll put a link to the article in show notes, but I won't belabor that point too much because you can just listen to that other episode again and I have the same exact thoughts there. So moving on to some policy items. So the first one is just a little bit of a little bit of rumor milling going on. Um, there are some whisperings about the new administration proposing some changes to the federal EV um, the federal EV incentives, so currently the federal EV tax credit. Um, and those proposed changes, again, this is all rumory, um, so I won't talk too much about it, but they include direct rebates, so just cutting a check for <laughs> purchasers of electric vehicles. Um, but they're also considering an income cap on those rebates of $250,000. I think this is terrible. I don't think you need an income cap. I think that's just a, it's just not a good move. I don't know why you would do that. The actual amount that that would save the government is really small, in my opinion. It's not going to be that large. Um, and I just don't know why that needs to be tied to income. We need people to buy EVs. I don't care who does it. We just need it done. Um, we need direct rebates, so it's not a tax credit, um, a non-refundable tax credit like we currently have, which I've talked about at length on this, this podcast. But, um, I just see no good reason to put an income cap at all, and 250000 also doesn't feel incredibly high, especially if you live in a place like New York City or LA. Um, it just seems like a pretty low bar overall, so I just don't like that at all. But a direct rebate, that's, that's pretty good too. So some, you know, a little bit of, of both here, some, some good and some bad. And then the last item I have for today is, is kind of an interesting one. So um, Tesla, Tesla, sorry, Texas is considering a bill that would enact an annual electric vehicle fee, a scaled vehicle mile traveled fee, so basically a usage fee on vehicles, and an annual surcharge for electric vehicle owners. And actually, um, I should say alternative fuel vehicle owners. So it's not just EVs, it's also natural gas, propane, biodiesel vehicles, so on anything that's not gas and diesel. Um, and so this is an interesting story for a few reasons. Um, the first and foremost is that the article that I found this from was a Clean Technica article, which I don't usually read their stuff, but this is the first, they're the first publication I saw talk about this. So um, that's the article that I read. And 
it said a lot of things that were just patently wrong about the bill. Um, it stacked a lot of the numbers, made it look a lot worse than it was. I don't think this is malicious by any means, um, but it just didn't portray the facts very well. And it had a bunch of quotes from um, the Tesla Tesla owner groups in Texas who um, had you know complaints and such about it. And they also stated some things that were just patently false about the bill. So I want to use this as a bit of a story to say, look, if you're reading an article that has a very strong opinion about something, um, you should fact check it. <laughs> Especially with stuff like like legislation, where it's relatively easy to fact check it because you can just pull up the text of the bill. Um, you know, it's hard to read sometimes. I struggle with it for sure, but um, but just just double check the stuff because this is not as bad as it sounds. And so, what does it actually say? Um, it's got a few different parts to this. So I'm gonna talk about the the annual fee and the the VMT fee, the the usage tax. Um, these are two separate fees that alternative fuel vehicle owners can pay, and you choose one or the other, which is a crucial fact that was missing in the article that I read. You choose one of one or the other of these. Um, if you choose to go with just a flat fee, um, the fee is based on the weight class of the vehicle. So if the vehicle is lighter than 6,000 pounds, it's $190 a year. And if it's heavier than 6,000 pounds, it's $240 um, per year. So those are the numbers there. We'll talk about how that compares in a minute. The scaled vehicle mile traveled fee um, is based on the number of miles you drive per year. So you can read the, the actual scaling in the, the bill itself. I've got the, uh, the section and the, and the link to it in the show notes for you. So you can just go directly to it. Um, so the fee can be taken instead of the annual fee. And the fee starts at $30 per year for vehicles traveling 30 miles or less. And then every 3,000 miles past that, it increases by $40 per year. And it maxes out at $190, yeah, $190 per year if you drive 12,000 miles or more. So this actually seems like a pretty good way to do it to me. Um, you have a cap on it, and then you kind of do the fee kind of gradated, um, graduated along based on the miles traveled. That seems fairly reasonable to me. And it's based on weight class as well. So I gave the weight class for the 6,000 pounds or less, um, but there is the other weight class as well. And it has a slightly different fee schedule is what I'll call it. Um, and again, you can read about that in the show notes if you're if you're interested. Now, um, these are for, for alternative fuel vehicles in general. So natural gas, propane, that sort of stuff, and electric vehicles. Um, the numbers I just gave do not include plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. Those are taxed separately. And they have a similar fee schedule that is, again, just less money because plug-in hybrids also use gas, so they pay a gas tax. Um, and then there is a third fee included in this bill. And again, this is not passed yet, but there's a third, be included, uh, third fee included in this bill, which is just a $10 annual surcharge that will fund a new charging infrastructure advisory council that they want to set up to basically figure out how to do public electric vehicle charging. So that $10 goes directly to that that project that they want to, to undergo. So that seems, I guess, pretty reasonable. Um, and so that that's the state of it. There are those three different fees. You choose one of the first two, and then you get this $10 extra fee uh, for electric vehicle charging. It's pretty, pretty okay, right? Uh, if you stack them, like the article implied, it comes out to like $400 a year, which is terrible. That's very high. Um, and in comparing this to a gas tax... 
The current gas tax in Texas, if you include the state tax and the federal tax, comes up to 38 cents per gallon. If you assume a 30-mile-per-gallon vehicle and then do the 12,400 uh, miles per year, which is around the U.S. average annual mileage, you come up to just over 150 per year. So this is a little bit higher, you know, 190 um, at max for a comparable vehicle to the one I just did the math for. Um, so $40 more. But again, this is all based on your mileage traveled if you choose that option. So I don't think this is too far off the mark, really. It's a little high, but the way they're going about it seems fairly reasonable. Um, and then there was also language in the bill that I thought was really, really fascinating. This is the first time I've seen this in any of these bills. Um, is that it includes language for the fees to be reassessed every year in order to account for inflation. So increase due to inflation and to account for whether or not the federal government um, levies a special tax on alternative fuel vehicles to reclaim the federal gas tax. Um, so this doesn't hap this hasn't happened yet, but if the federal government does levy um, a special tax on alternative fuel vehicles, then the state will decrease their fees proportionately, which I think is a pretty pretty good approach, right? Um, and then I've got the relevant section of the bill again in the show notes, so you can read those numbers yourself. I'm fairly certain I'm reading this correctly. I read it several times and tried to make sure I understand it properly because, again, it is it's kind of bill speak. It's kind of difficult. Um, but anyway, that's that's the news on that. I think it's fairly reasonable. It's a little bit higher than than maybe we'd like to pay, but altogether, it's not the worst that I've seen. So that was the last news item I had for you today. So, um, as always. Like I mentioned several times in this art, uh, episode, you can find links to all the articles and sources in the show notes. I do encourage you to, to go read if you're interested in any of that. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at ArchDukeTyler, if you have any feedback, good, negative, otherwise. Um, I don't think that I'll do too many of, of the uh, quick response vehicles, like I, or response vehicles, the quick um, reaction episodes like I did uh, this week for the Ford, but I thought that was just a really special situation that um, that I think warranted its own episode. So if you enjoyed that, please let me know that as well, because if that's the sort of thing that um, y'all find value in, then maybe I'll do it for, for other similar announcements as they come out. So that's all I've got for you today. Um, I'll see you next week, or maybe I'll have another surprise episode in the middle of next week, probably not. Uh, when you inevitably listen again, because let's be honest, well, what's the alternative? Mm -hmm.